0: Welcome to Turkey a Long View from Duvar English. I'm Luke Frostic. There's a lot going on out there right now. I started putting this episode together when there was only the Syrian civil war and the refugee crisis to worry about. It's easy to forget um, because the conflict in Syria and the coronavirus take so much of the oxygen, but Turkey is engaged in two civil wars at the moment. The war in Libya has been going on for years now, and Ankara has tried to carve out a role for itself in the conflict. My first guest is Tarek Megarisi. He's a fellow with the North Africa and Middle East program at the European Council of Foreign Relations. We talk about the Libyan side of the conflict. Tarek Megarisi, thank you very much for joining us.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Okay, um, so I'm gonna start with um a little bit of a confession. Um, So I sort of switched off the Libyan conflict kind of after the death of Gaddafi really, and I I don't think I'm alone in doing that. I think it's been the forgotten civil war in many ways. So could you start by giving me a brief overview of the factions involved on the ground?
1: Yeah, and don't feel bad, you're far from the only person. Um, Although I started to call it more the ignored war than the forgotten war. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the amount of interests that are in play, I think for a lot of them, they would just appreciate the silence from the media as they go about their business. Um, on the ground, you have a hugely atomized scene. Uh, so, you know, a, a dynamic which started during the war itself, um, as in 2011's war against Gaddafi, of communities, towns, cities, villages, kind of self-sustaining, protecting themselves through a local militia, having local councils to decide on how to to manage and sustain themselves during the upheaval of the revolution. This dynamic kind of continued and worsened to an extent after the revolution due to the failure of successive governments to do anything much more than be corrupt. Um, There's a lot of history there over the last nine years, but for the interest of expediency, let's fast forward to today, Mm -hmm. um, whereby you have a government in Tripoli, which is called the Government of National Accord. It was the product of a years-long UN process in 2015, um, following a, a civil war in the country, which aimed to... To build a a unity government um, with representation from each of the constituent parts. So that would be the most recently elected parliament, which is called the House of Representatives, uh, which sits in eastern Libya. um, Mm -hmm. and, And a body called the High Council of State, which represented the parliament, which was replaced by the House of Representatives and which for a whole load of reasons refused to really cede power. Um, however, this government has never really been recognized by by those in the east of the country. So that means both the House of Representatives and technically, what is a non-state actor that has grown to have the prominence of a state actor, mm-hmm. which is Khalifa Haftar, um, his Libyan Arab Armed Forces. You know, probably the headline guy and protagonist of this of this current um, catastrophe um and so he has really played the antagonist role uh since 2015 until today um ensuring that the political establishments like the house of representatives that are in the east of the country don't recognize what's going on in tripoli and kind of framing himself as the guy who's going to dismantle all of that and build a real state in its place um so that's where we are today you have you know three constituent political parts um and you have tens, if not over a hundred individual armed groups representing different parts of the country in different communities and interest groups. Um, and they're all bound together in what's roughly a civil war.
0: Okay, so um, what is life like for the Libyan civilians at the moment? What What is daily life looking like?
1: I mean, that really depends on on where you are. But I think you know, there are some commonalities. Um, So the financial situation is getting worse across the board for Libyans. Uh, The regular economy has been slowing gradually uh, since the start of this war uh, in April 2019. Um, And since an oil embargo, which was put in place by Haftar in January, things have steeply taken a turn for the worse. Um, there's not so much liquidity, it's difficult to access your cash, there's not much work going on, the price of goods is steadily going up. Um, now the electricity situation is getting worse thanks to this oil embargo, so power stations don't have the fuel to run. If you go to Tripoli, which is you know Libya's biggest city, it's the capital, it's got over 2 million people, uh, probably closer to 3 million now due to the sheer number of internally displaced people um, from Haftar's. Um, wars over the years, uh, life is really getting, starting to get tough, you know, you have regular shelling, um, which goes on and can seem indiscriminate at times um, to the people who are living there. I mean, from Haftar's perspective, they would say that there's uh, military tactics involved shelling certain key sites, but there have been so many tragedies, atrocities, war crimes, however you'd want to say them over the last few months. That it really does spread a terror amongst the people uh, of Tripoli. You have garbage that's piling up everywhere, government services have basically stopped in entirety. Um, So there's a, you know, if if the Libyan population lived under a degree of fatalism for the the last four or five years, that has certainly taken a a big turn for the worse. Um, over the last few months, and whenever the war flares up, the situation gets worse. When it calms down, things get slightly better, and people try to live a normal life.
0: Okay, thank you very much. So there are um, there are multitudes of issues about the Libyan conf- Libyan conflict that we could talk about. We could talk about uh, the refugee crisis, which is going on at the same time. The sort of the the lack of international leadership. Um, um, there's Yeah, again, there's so many we could talk about. But I'd like to focus on the Turkish aspects of it. Now, from my understanding of of uh, Ankara's position, it's that the GNA is the legitimate government in their eyes, and they, they cite the them as the European, uh, not the European Union, the, eh, the UN-recognized government, um, and it should be the international community's role to support the GNA um, to put an end to the Libyan war that way by providing intelligence, technical support, um, and in the Turkey case, it's Syrian mercenaries as well. What is your view on Ankara's position?
1: I mean, if you break down the argument that that you just gave now, which is very much Ankara's line, um, you know, objectively what they say is is correct. Um The government of national accord should be considered uh, the legitimate government in Libya. It was the product of a UN process. Um, The wider international community, including many western states, have been working with it and through it over the last three to four years. Um, The fact that this government has been a disaster in terms of supplying um, or serving its people, um, I think is immaterial given the context of the war. Um, so there was a UN process continuing to try to move beyond the government um, to really change the, the foundations for it, the mandate and various other technicalities that would have allowed for a more representative um, and productive government. And this was abruptly stopped by Haftar's assault on the city. Um, Haftar claims his own legitimacy uh, given to him by the parliament uh, in the east, which I've I've spoken about previously. Um, but, you know, if you look back even to 2018, there were other military leaders who have attacked the capital and who were placed under UN sanctions for doing just that. Um, and if you look at the wording under their sanctions, it's it seems bizarre that Haftar has not had anywhere near the same attention um, given to him or that there have been no attempts to hold him accountable for his actions. Um, so, objectively speaking, from that sense, Ankara is taking a, mm-hmm. an understandable position, um, and I think that they are the only ones who are, whose presence in Libya, and you have to be very careful about the legality here, um, is actually legal under international law, um, in the sense that there is a formal security partnership between the representative, uh, the representative government, in Tripoli uh, and Turkey. However their arms that they do ship in and the mercenaries that they do ship in are still in contravention of the UN arms embargo. Um, ultimately, you know, I think that it it was positive that, that Turkey have come in, um, in the sense that they stopped the situation deteriorating rapidly um, mm-hmm. in winter of last year, when due to Russian assistance, Haftar was encroaching into the city of Tripoli. Uh, and it would have been a huge disaster um, had he really embedded himself in there. Um, the next step that the Turks hoped for was to use their presence and the threat of Turkish action um, to to push Haftar and the state supporting him into a deal. That hasn't worked. Um, Haftar and the state supporting him are very maximalist in their positions. Um, and so it seems that all Turkey has done is exacerbate the situation. Um, they've also been a bit clumsy in 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 how they've come in um, through issues like the Syrian mercenaries, and mm-hmm. so they need to have a, a follow up plan to stop, you know, what what could be a, um, a positive intervention from just exacerbating and aggravating an already bad situation.
0: Yeah, I, I find myself in in the unusual position of thinking that Erdogan's right about this. Okay. Um, it if I mean, it seems to me that if um, Haftar wins, I mean, the chance of a multi-party democracy in Libya is pretty much finished, and he'll rule as another, another Sisi or Gaddafi. Um, is that is that have I got that right?
1: That is his intention. Um, I think it's inescapable right now. You know, there are pretensions sometimes from him and those supporting him that, of course, he just wants to stabilise the scene, and then he'll usher in elections. Um, but I think it, it it's a lot worse than that. I think that him personally is incapable of replicating what Gaddafi had in the country. And Libya lacks the same kind of state that Egypt has, which has allowed Sisi to, to take up the role that he has done. And I don't think that many people have really looked into what a Haftar victory means. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you were to enter Tripoli... You would see a minimum of a year's worth of messy urban fighting in this hugely densely populated city. Uh, if we look at the previous large urban war he's conducted in Benghazi, this would likely destroy the city. Um, he would be left ruling over the rubble, um, more than likely immediately have an insurgency on his hands that he has to deal with, and he would very likely be continuing this war onto Libya's third city uh, of Misrata, um, which is a huge city in the center of the country, which many in his camp have spoken of um, previously in terms of getting revenge on them. Uh, Haftar's wider organization, you know, he calls it the Libyan Arab Armed Forces to hark onto the Egyptian model and pretend that it's an army. But like every other force in Libya, it's a collection of self-interested groups who are there in an alliance of convenience. So once Haftar stops being the antagonist who is trying to take power and becomes the ruler who has power, then all of these different groups lose their unifying factor and they will start fighting amongst each other. So we would have a, a very similar dynamic to what happened after the fall of Gaddafi, just with a, a state that's um, been dilapidated over nine years and has been destroyed through five years of heavy warfare.
0: I see. Um, so. A thing about, about Erdogan is that his policy is never completely set in stone. He's over the years been very good at pivoting from one position to another, um, if it's been needed. So, if you were if you were able to sit down with the president and give him some advice on a more constructive role that Turkey could play in a Libyan peace process, um, what would you say?
1: I think ultimately he has to do more to build uh, a coalition. Um, to help push the idea of an inclusive process in Libya um, and an end to the drivers of war, which is the arms embargo um, and so on. I think Erdogan believed in the beginning that uh, he could quell the conflict by the threat of Turkish intervention, and that would be enough to bring the Emirates Mm -hmm. and others to the table. But that's not the case. And in, in order to really get purchased from the states who are backing Haftar, Um, there needs to be some kind of wider international pressure, which means bringing Europeans on board, bringing the Americans on board, um, and really protecting the UN to carry out what could be widely considered a legitimate and objective rather than politically biased um, reconciliation project or political process. Uh, And that's one area that he struggled in so far, because Libya is not an issue in isolation. Um, you know, Turkey has already used Libya um, to leverage itself into the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, there is, of course, other fault lines between Turkey and Europe, between Turkey and the States. Um, so it is quite a messy path forward. But I think he needs to try to look for a wider coalition, as you know, given everything else on their plate, Turkey won't be able to go this alone.
0: Yeah, that I mean, that seems right, and it's just it. I keep coming back to this, that Turkey just doesn't have the leverage it once had, and that Erdogan's political capital has been spent, and it needs to be someone else leading a peace process in Libya. Um, anyway, that's, that's kind of what, how, where I've ended up.
1: I mean, if if any individual country leads a peace process in Libya, um, especially one of those that, that has been involved so far... Then it's likely that this process will lack legitimacy inside Libya, um, and it will largely be a political project from the outside to secure their interests. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of Turkey, that's going to be mainly economic interests. Um, so you might have some state building, you might have some stability on the ground, but it's not something that will work out for the long term. You really, the Libyans really need some handholding to, to go through their own state building process. And I think it's vitally important for the stability of that country, and by extension, the wider North Africa region, given it sits at the heart of it, um, that this is done as objectively and Libya-centric as possible. And really the only organizations that can do that is the likes of the UN, or a neutral, unbiased, uninterested party, um, which I struggle to think of, to be honest.
0: Okay, um, so my, my last question, this might be a uh, tricky one. Given how fragmented Libyan society is at the moment, but I was wondering if we know anything about what um, Libyan people think about Turkey's role in in the process. Well, what the what the feeling is in the country?
1: Yeah, I think this is quite divided. Um, I mean, there is. You know, the Libyan pop, pop, population, like every other population, is a mixture of, of opinions. Um, and especially in a time of war, everything is a lot more contested. So you do have those who, who support the GNA, uh, who are fearful of what Haftar, um, you know, increasing or continuing his attack looks like, that support the, the Turkish intervention. And in fact, are grateful for the Turkish intervention, because they see Turkey as the only country... Um, that has stood up to try to protect their revolution um, in Libya and to stop ha- the Haftar project from being carried out. Um, although even these um, have been weakened slightly by the introduction of Syrian mercenaries, which was a great coup for for Haftar's own propaganda machine. And we've seen a steady stream. Oh, I see. Since then, that say, you know, look, Haftar. Uh, sorry, Turkey has bought Syrian jihadists. Uh, into Libya.
0: It plays with the French message as well, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, And there is, you know, on the other side um, of the fence, there is a wider message that happened around the statements um, by Erdogan about the upcoming intervention, talking about uh, Libyans of Turkish descent um, and so on Mm -hmm. and so forth, that has tried to play up the Ottoman colonization of Libya. um, And, you know, Saying that the, the the Turks are looking to recolonize Libya, and that's a message which has resonated even amongst some of those who don't support Haftar. Um, saying, you know, we should be really careful about what we're letting ourselves into. You know, as as a narrative, um, it's very powerful. As a real credible argument, I think it you know it lacks substance, but nevertheless, it is something that is resonating. Um, so I mean, that's yeah. more
0: of, that's more of an internal sales technique. That one, I mean. It- that's like uh, I feel that all the sort of neo-Ottoman stuff is all about internal Turkish messaging.
1: Yeah, but you do also have a large community of Libyans with Turkish roots. So, you know, the Ottomans mm-hmm. were in Libya for a long period of time. They largely settled and controlled the coastal cities, which is still the center of Libyan urbanization. You have many Libyan families with, with Turkish names. And, you know, whilst Libyans had moved on a lot, ironically enough, in in Haftar's own internal messaging... Uh, when he first came onto the scene and started a war in Benghazi was that, you know, we are combating the Turks. Um, Mm. And, you know, uh, his own messaging to the tribes that he got to support him was that the Libyan tribes are going to come in and displace the urbanite Turks and reclaim what should be ours. Um, So there's that. That's fascinating. And it's, yeah, you do also have a large diaspora population in Istanbul and across Turkey now who are becoming more and more vocal as well. So, you know, it's quite complex in its own right, the relationship between Turkey and Libya, and as a, as a result of that, how Turkey's intervention is, uh, is being felt by Libyans. I think that's been
0: really useful to me. Um, thank you very much for joining me.
1: Thanks again for having me on.
0: Many thanks to Tarek. I think it's really important to understand a Libyan perspective before diving into the Turkish side of things. If you are interested in more information on the other issues... Of the libyan civil war for example human rights um, the migration crisis then i recommend you listen to the libya matters podcast uh, i found it really useful and um, pod helps pod my next guest is genghis Janta, columnist for El monitor and distinguished visiting scholar at stockholm university institute for turkish studies we talk about the turkish side of things why is Ankara fighting in libya how is the war seen in turkey and how does the Libyan civil war connect with the other major military conflict in the region, Syria? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. Good to be with you. Thank you. Um, so I want to start off by asking you, what is uh, the Turkish government's official position on the Libya crisis?
2: Well, the official position is uh, well known. It is the the... Um, perhaps the only uh, supportive uh, government around uh, for the, the Tripoli government of uh, Fayez al-Sarraj is mostly a, a media preference to call it the, the UN-recognized government of Libya. Uh, the, it is not very accurate uh, mm-hmm. uh, from my angle to call it the, the UN-recognized government of Libya per se, But nevertheless, it is uh, the the, the preferred uh, reference to that government by the international media. And the Turkish government also always emphasizes or underlines that uh, they are with uh, and uh, supporting the the, the UN-recognized government of Libya, the government of Sarraj. And uh, so the the official position of Turkey is uh, supportive of this government. I said, maybe the only one, along with Qatar, of course, but Turkey went uh, that far uh, to provide military assistance. And without the Turkish military assistance assistance provided to this government, it seems given the balance of uh, power and balance of uh, forces in the Libyan battlefield in the military sense, uh, this government that Turkey is supporting right now cannot last for long. So the Turkish um, support, the military support provided by Turkey is very, very effective in that sense to this government. But uh, more than that, Turkey uh, went that far again in December 2019 uh, 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 to make a a deal with this government, uh, a maritime treaty, Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, uh, sharing the the maritime boundaries, which actually uh, cuts the connection uh, from uh, Cyprus to Crete, which would be the, 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 the part of Mediterranean where there is supposedly a uh, natural gas pipeline uh, that would transport uh, the natural gas when or whether it is uh, the, uh, found uh, by Egypt, Israel, and the government of Cyprus along with Greece so the the Turkish Libyan position, the, the official Turkish position is not only uh, to enhance the so-called uh, the government of national accord, the UN recognized government of Libya, but uh, with its uh, the, the p- uh, peculiar ties uh, with that government uh, uh, to assert itself in the Eastern Mediterranean uh, equation which is getting to be very complicated because of this natural gas explorations uh, and the continental shelf issues, maritime boundaries, which is a bearing upon the relation between Turkey and Greece, between Turkey and Egypt and Turkey and, 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 and Israel, and related to the Cyprus question and as well as Turkish-European Union uh, relations. Plus, Uh, The position of Turkey uh, has also another, uh, um, I I should say, a magnitude uh, uh, which is concerned with uh, uh, the the competition uh, of the Sunni Islamic world, Turkey on one side, and Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and United Arab Emirates on the other side. So how it uh, bears upon Libya? All these other uh, countries, which I just listed, mainly Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and United Arab Emirates are very supportive of uh, General or Marshal Haftar's forces, which is called the Libyan National Army, and supported by another rival government. Which is uh, the, the constructed in Tobruk to the eastern end of the country, and now nowadays is removing to Benghazi, the second largest city of, uh, of uh, Libya. So the Turkey on one side is supporting the Tripoli government, the other uh, Sunni Arab countries, uh, which uh, the Gulf countries, uh, mainly as Saudi Arabia and uh, United Arab Emirates plus Egypt the largest and biggest Arab country in the area, and which is next to Libya, a neighbor of Libya, are supporting Haftar. So uh, Turkey is also involved in the struggle of uh, leadership, in a kind of a leadership in the Sunni Muslim world. So the Turkish official position when it comes to Libya uh, uh, has different dimensions uh, uh, relating to Libya itself, to East Mediterranean. And uh, the, the, the struggle uh, concerning the, the uh, un-publicized or undeclared power, uh, leadership struggle of the Sunni Muslim world.
0: Okay, so that's a, a very broad and correct summary of what I think is going on. Let's just rewind right back to the beginning. And what, what practical assistance is the Turkish government providing the uh, Government of National Accord? I want to get onto the maritime boundaries and the kind of conflict with Egypt later, I but told, I, um...
2: yeah, as I told earlier, that uh, without the Turkish effective military support, uh, given the, uh, the balance of power on the battlefield, uh, that government cannot last for more than 24 hours, perhaps. So Turkey provides air defence. Mm-hmm for the government. Uh, This government of Tripoli still controls the airport of Tripoli, the main international airport of uh, Libya, and uh, also the port of uh, Tripoli, of course. Uh, And so from the port uh, uh, to uh, maritime channels and uh, by air, Turkey is uh, supporting uh, formidable military help. And also in order to keep its survival, the, the survival of the, the, the Tripoli government, Turkey provided air defense systems which really had been effective. And uh, we don't hear much nowadays that uh, the, this, this um, Tripoli government uh, the, uh, are under the control of the, the, the air forces of Haftar, which is uh, very much, support, or the drones supported to Haftar, mainly by. United Arab Emirates. What Haftar, which is in a position to do, uh, being quite close to Tripoli and uh, trying to put a siege around Tripoli, in order to capture the, the capital city of uh, uh, Libya, uh, can only uh, uh, pushes its artillery to the range of uh, the Tripoli airport to give certain damage uh, the, against the Tripoli government. Other than that, the Turkish uh, the, uh, air defense, the, uh, providing air defense systems and electronic warfare, all these sort of systems provided by Turkey uh, to Tripoli government, uh, let the government to survive until now. And additionally, Turkey the, uh, the lent its, uh, the, some of its military advisors mm-hmm. uh, intelligence support and also uh, it's an open secret now everybody knows about it even the president of france uh, macron emmanuel macron uh, openly uh, announced it that turkey uh, and the turkish officials never rejected it that turkey is supporting the tripoli government by uh, some syrian uh, fighters which is transported uh, from northern and northwestern part of Syria all the way the, to Libya to the defense of uh, the Tripoli government uh, as land forces. So, the, as they call it, there are Syrian proxies of Turkey on the battleground as well. So altogether, the, the main the, the main support of Turkey with for, uh, for uh, the, the Tripoli government is the military support and as I still I, I want to underline that without that support that government could not survive or last for long. So it is very formidable and effective support that Turkey is providing.
0: Okay, so with this issue of these Syrian proxies, why is Turkey unwilling to deploy its regular forces in Libya?
2: Well, look, Libya is far away from Turkey. Uh, even uh, in Idlib, uh, very recently, uh, when the death toll rose up to uh, some scores of, as they call it, it's called in Turkish martyrs of the Turkish armed forces personnel losing their lives in the battlefield of uh, Syria next to the Turkish frontiers, uh, the, it can be presented to Turkish public despite the the, 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 uh, the uh, irritation, Uh, resentment and everything of the Turkish public uh, would have and is having already uh, concerning the loss of lives, the casualties of uh, military personnel in Syria, it could be presented that it is, uh, they gave their lives uh, for the security of Turkey, because Mm -hmm. Syria is next door to Turkey, and so there's an interpretation of the Turkish uh, regime. Uh, That there is a security threat from uh, that part of Syria to Turkey and if it is not checked, then uh, we have to to, uh, fight within Turkey. Whether you believe or not is another issue, but there Mm -hmm. is this kind of narrative uh, which is not totally uh, weird for many years in Turkey, looking at the map and the situation. So this could be an interpretation of the national security, the, the, the prerogatives, then you, you, uh, you uh, the, your sons uh, or daughters will be fighting uh, at the next door to defend your homeland. Mm-hmm. But if the same thing happens in Libya, it is very, very difficult uh, to, to 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 justify, or mm-hmm. to legitimize that uh, they are fighting and uh, giving their lives in order to uh, defend. The motherland, homeland. Where are they? Across the Mediterranean, the other, uh, uh, the, the other side of the the, the big uh, uh, sea, uh, uh, more than hundred, uh, more more than thousand miles away from where Turkey is, and uh, it's not next to our borders. And what is the security threat emanating from the mm-hmm. territory of Libya? Over Turkey, it's impossible to, to convince anybody for that. So the, the, the Turkish casualties, the loss of lives in in Libya uh, for that purpose, uh, for 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 this narrative, will be very difficult. Therefore, uh, but when, if the Tur- Syrian proxies uh, lose their lives, there would be casualties on the Libyan uh, battle uh, grounds in terms of the, the Syrian. Uh, the, uh, nationalists, let me say, it wouldn't uh, reflect on the Turkish uh, public opinion, Turkish society in a traumatic way, if it would be for the uh, people in under Turkish uniforms, for the Turkish nationalists.
0: Yeah, that seems right to me. I mean, when I talk to people here in Istanbul, I don't get any kind of feeling that anyone wants to go to war in Libya. In a more serious way, I think it would be a pretty hard sell for the government to deploy Turkish regular soldiers in Libya, just as you've said. So, do you believe. Hmm?
2: The, the government, uh, particularly
0: the president, uh,
2: the, in order to counter uh, the criticism of the main opposition or the opposition in general, he refers to the, the founder of the republic, Mustafa Kemal.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Fought there, but at that time Libya was Turkish territory. And and if you bring that argument, that look, Mustafa Kemal had fought in Libya. Libya was part of the Ottoman Empire, and the Ottoman Empire uh, was the homeland. So if you if you extend to this argument, you can also say that Yemen also was a part of the Ottoman Empire Mm -hmm. at that time, and many officers, and many soldiers. With origins of Turkish, uh, today's Turkey's Asia Minor or Anatolia, that that fought in Yemen. There are so many songs, mm-hmm. about Yemen and so on, the casualties and all these things. So the, if, if 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 we extend to this narrative, then uh, yeah, could could you say that we have to since it has been our homeland once upon a time, uh, and there is a conflict going on Yemen. That means uh, because of our historical bonds with Yemen, we have to provide uh, manpower to fight on the Yemen battleground. Can we say that? It would be ridiculous. So so, once upon a time, if if, uh, some territory belongs to a country, it doesn't give the legitimacy that you must be concerned, of course, but it doesn't give you the legitimacy to be there Present mm-hmm. with your uh, military hardware.
0: No? Yep, that seems right. Again, um, now earlier you mentioned the issue of naval delineation, and it seems like that's a really key um, motivation for Turkish involvement. And it's a it's a complicated issue about where the borders are and where exactly like exclusive economic zones lie, but. What other reasons do you think that Ankara is so involved in the Libyan civil war?
2: Well, I think the, this regime uh, they prefers to follow an assertive foreign policy, as they like to call it,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, to assert Turkey uh, into the, the international agenda in the way it is performing right now. So. uh, You don't need to be uh, always uh, uh, in a position of a mediator, like the Mm -hmm. Scandinavian countries, for example, they love to be involved in mediation efforts of international conflicts, Norway, Sweden, Finland, these kinds of countries you hear. Uh, When it comes to mediation, uh, they are uh, almost ready volunteers for that kind of Thing and that's as if a kind of a the, uh, uh, export material for them in mm-hmm. mediation, uh, uh, the soft power kind sure. of uh, uh, attitude. So Turkey uh, used this soft power uh, attitude in the early two thousands. Uh, it was a mediator in many issues, and so it put its name into. Uh, over the international political agenda uh, uh, as a generator of uh, uh, soft power politics, diplomacy and trade and so on. And Mm -hmm. uh, the the international system felt the presence of Turkey in international issues. But nowadays, uh, since a couple of years, as what they call assertive policy, Turkey likes to be in the international um, um, arena and within the international agenda, through uh, muscle flexing, uh, the, through the, the uh, uh, through playing hardball—not mm-hmm. softball, but hardball. This is a preference of diplomacy. Also, it, it, it's a kind of a, in the English language called brinkmanship policy uh, to push the the things. Uh, to the brink in order to uh, get uh, as much uh, uh, dividends that you might get uh, uh, forcing the um, involved parties to negotiations. It does not necessarily mean that Turkey is trying to get what it wants on the battlefield, but uh, giving an image of readiness that it can go uh, uh, beyond what could be, Imagined of it in order to extract more uh, concessions and uh, more uh, uh, opportunities um, the, to its interests under under the, the negotiating table. If you remember, for Libya, for example, when there was this uh, multilateral uh, mm-hmm. a conference in Moscow, Turkey was on the table as one of the most important. Uh, actors or players of the Libyan game. So uh, then, when it was transferred to Berlin on, on, uh, on January 19, I think, mm-hmm. uh, two months ago in Berlin, where we had this big international conference, which became the push for the UN Security Council um, to, to call for a ceasefire, the, the decisions of the Berlin conference. Although there were no much decisions, but it's interpreted as if they yielded decisions. The UN Security Council just picked up from Berlin. But coming to back to your question, that Turkey was an important figure, important element in
0: mm-hmm.
2: Berlin conference as well. So the 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 the, uh, the the military muscle flexing of Turkey, which is interpreted terminologically is assertive foreign policy, does not necessarily mean only to seek results on the battlefield. It is done in order to project Turkey onto mm-hmm. a negotiation table to extract uh, more than uh,
0: uh, it presumably could get. Well, I think that presumably... Com- could get as important, because what it seems to me is that, to a certain extent, Turkey is buying its seat at the table. I mean, you could see a deal in Libya which doesn't include Turkey, and it's, I think it speaks to a broadly how isolated Turkey has become, in that they are not naturally consulted unless they've actually got sort of feet on the ground. Do you think that's right, or have I missed something there?
2: Well, um... I am an outspoken critic of this policy. So uh, if mm-hmm. you ask me this if you ask me why Turkey is doing this, uh, what is the official poli- p- position of Turkey, mm-hmm. uh, followed by the question why they are doing this, uh, trying to rationalize why it is doing this, mm-hmm. I can tell you what I did already. okay. But if you say that uh, whether from my angle, from where I stand, from wh- how I see it, it's mm-hmm. a correct way. I, I have I and I, I publicized it several times. I have deep doubts about it, mm-hmm. as uh, 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 as you as you just said that it's more isolated, and and it's proving uh, itself more as a liability than as an asset.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, um, the, so the so the, the the Turkish foreign policy concerning Libya and. Uh, also on other other matters, Mm -hmm. I would say that it's increasing its uh, value of nuisance Mm -hmm. rather than the, the output that it will be providing.
0: Okay. So there's one other motivation that I wanted to ask you about. And it seems to me that there's an ideological aspect on the government side. Particularly in that um, General Haftar is exactly the kind of secular military general that President Erdogan has spent a vast majority of his political career trying to kind of break down within Turkey and sees a very clear enemy in him. Do you think that's part of what informs um, Erdogan's foreign policy on this issue?
2: Well, Haftar is heavily supported by by, uh, Egypt. Egypt.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: United Arab Emirates
0: mm-hmm.
2: and Saudi Arabia uh, three main Arab power centers were obsessed with Muslim Brotherhood
0: mm-hmm.
2: while Turkey uh, in the last decade or so has been the, the sponsor of uh, Muslim Brotherhood mm-hmm. that is all around MENA, the Middle East and North Africa region and uh, so the And in Sarraj government, there is a Muslim brotherhood component. Therefore, Mm -hmm. uh, in uh, in defining and describing Turkish policy vis-a-vis Libya, there is this ideological component. And uh, as I already had said before, that it's a kind of a reflection of a power struggle within the Sunni uh, Muslim world between those power centers and Turkey. So in order to uh, reach um, to the interpretation why Turkey is not with Haftar, we have to take into consideration these elements, apart from Haftar's secular nature. Um, And although not directly related to the question, I have to say that the um, Haftar is not only the representative of the secularists.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, of course.
2: Because there are many Salafi and 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 uh, heavily uh, extremist Islamist mm-hmm. elements within the Haftar camp and the coalition that he represents. Well,
0: he that's absolutely. I mean, that's absolutely right. Um, but I think part of his, his almost his pitch to nations like France is that he's the guy that can keep the Islamists under control.
2: Yeah, well, yes, and also for, for the Russians.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've been kind of avoiding talking about Syria so far, but I think it's important to bring it up. To what extent are the two conflicts connected?
2: They are interconnected, especially during the last days of Idlib conflict, mm-hmm. uh, just before the, the, the ceasefire reached in uh, Erdogan's talks in in. Moscow with Putin uh, just uh, two days ago, uh, before uh, Haftar was in Damascus, and uh, the Syrian regime uh, recognized Haftar as Libyans, Libya's uh, the, uh, legitimate uh, government. And uh, so the diplom- diplomatic, rep- the, the Libyan embassy, which is also already present in uh, mm-hmm. Damascus, will be filled by Haftar's people and uh, the Syrian embassy would would be in, perhaps nowadays, temporarily in in Benghazi. So uh, the the Syrian regime of Bashar al-Assad and Haftar uh, in Libya are connected and uh, their sponsor, uh, the big one, Mm -hmm. one different sponsors, Moscow, uh, also uh, is a very uh, the determining player in Russia, in Syria, more Mm -hmm. than anybody else Russia nowadays. Uh, Plus, it is very, very important in Libya. So through Russia also, the situation of Syria and and Libya is interconnected. And also uh, uh, with Turkey, who is also very important, playing on both both fields. If I wouldn't use the word, word battleground, let me say fields.
0: I see. And so that um, Russia of course is the thing that connects the two conflicts and there's this kind of strange dialogue going on between Ankara and Moscow at the moment. I can't quite work out which way round it is. Is is Ankara using Libya for leverage in Syria or Syria for leverage in Libya or is is there does Ankara kind of envisage some kind of grand bargain with Russia that kind of wraps both conflicts up? Uh it's, yeah, too sorry. To tell.
2: It's, too, it's too early to tell because when you speak of Turkey, you are also mentioning a country member of North Atlantic system, NATO, oh. uh, a f- formal ally of the United States mm-hmm. with all the frictions and so on. But still, it's a formal ally. Uh, but it's the, the closest partner to Russia in many places. Uh, uh, for uh, econ- economic strategy, even when it comes to this nuclear plant to be built in Turkey, uh, to the, the air defense system, the S400s, mm-hmm. and also uh, the relations in in, in 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 northwest Syria, northeast is another mess. But so uh, the, when it, you speak of Turkey, uh, as much you are speaking of a. A member of NATO, a formal ally of the United States. So, uh, whatever may take place or is already taking place between Turkey and Russia, it involves the entire Western, the collective security systems, Turkey connections. And when you speak of a grand bargain, it has a bearing upon too many things altogether.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, uh, and uh, the, the, the level reached. Uh, in terms of the uh, settlement of the Syrian issue and, or, or in Libya, if you add them together and uh, uh, if we sum up, we, we can say that it's it will be far-fetched whether Turkey is after a grand bargain with Syria. It's too early to tell. We mm-hmm. we, we are following. We'll see. If it, if it evolves to that. Certainly. Course, it, it, it's, it's a card in both hands. I mean, mm-hmm. Turkey's hands... In its dealings with Russia, also in Russia's hands, in its dealings with Turkey, but whether uh, we, we should uh, uh, explain what's going on within the firm format of a quest for a grand bargain, as I say, it's too far fetched at this very point.
0: Certainly, I I agree with that, and I also um, sort of question the premise of my own question because i'm not so sure that russia has the influence to to get the in libya at least to get the outcomes that turkey might want I mean, so it could oh, yeah. <laughs> all right my la- my last question about libya is like how comfortable do you think ankara is with this kind of like almost permanent civil war in libya like it seems to me that like they're not super worried about just prolonging the war? Or do you think they're actively pushing for a kind of an end to the violence?
2: Well, I'm not so sure. As I said, the Lib- Lib- Libyan policy of Turkey has different dimensions. If uh, there will be some uh, progress uh, taking into consideration Turkey's arguments relating to East Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. And uh, if Turkey is more satisfied with the situation in in Syria, not particularly concerning Idlib, but northeastern Syria, uh, I'm not sure that Turkey would be very much eager to prolong the the, the conflict in Libya because uh, militarily Turkey is on the losing side. Mm -hmm. It is uh, enhancing the survival of the, the, the... uh, the Sarraj government, the Tripoli government, but um, given the balance of power uh, on the battlefield and in, also in international, politi- diplomatically and politically, if you add up the elements who are with Haftar and who are with the Tripoli government, uh, the, 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 it's not sustainable. The, uh, this Sarraj government in Tripoli is not sustainable. You can't rely on him. Uh, forever, uh,
0: mm-hmm. for,
2: for a long period, and uh, the, 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 it's not in your proximity, geographically, geopolitically, in terms of logistics. So, if you, as Turkey, uh, the only power uh, or the main power, more than the the rest like Qatar and Algeria or whatever, you are you are on the forefront uh, to keep at, to keep it up. uh, for its survival uh, uh, given the the, the geographical hurdles in front of you uh, and given your own economic uh, uh, possibilities uh, it's not sustainable Uh, uh, I mean Turkey's uh, support uh, which is mainly the military Mm -hmm. most significant and meaningful part of it is the military part of it it can't go for a long period, uh, the, because uh, this uh, Sarraj government is on the militarily on the losing side of the, the situation, and diplomatically and politically, not, not, not very uh, strong uh, position. So uh, I don't think that Turkey will be very much interested for the prolongation of the conflict in Libya, but uh, these are all relative things. For the moment, the military situation as it is helps Turkey mm-hmm. to have a Libyan card. It's exactly, any it- settlement not to the favor of Tripoli government, then Turkey will have no uh, uh, um, much to say for Libya without getting anything for East Mediterranean, in Syria, and so on. And so it will be a very defeatist. The situation for Turkey. so mm-hmm. Turkey wants the, the military conflict to go on for a while, but not for long.
0: I see. All right, Genghis uh, Jandar, thank you very much for joining me. I uh, thank you very
2: much for having me.
0: Many thanks to my guests, Tarek Megarisi and Genghis Jandar. Libya and Turkey's involvement in it is tricky and it intersects with so many other foreign policy problems that Turkey's run into like naval delineation, the Syrian civil war, and worsening relations with Turkey's NATO allies and regional partners. All of which could be episodes in their own right, and you know, um, might well be at some point. Yeah, I really want to do a naval delineation episode. That'll be super exciting for all of you. Naval borders guys, come on, what's not to love? Anyway, that's our show. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, this has been Turkey The Long View from Devar English. I'm Luke Frostig. Music is, as always, by Beth Norman and DJ Neo. You can find more of their work at djneo.net. Uh, thank you for listening. That's all for today. Um, stay safe out there.